This episode of Post Ass Draft is brought to you by Yoast. Go to Yoast.com. I hope that you know what Yoast does. They are your best friend when it comes to uh, great SEO performance for WordPress. They offer SEO for everyone. They have so many things and resources and tools available to you. If you need to learn about SEO, how to do SEO for your site, get a review of your website, uh, take courses on how to do SEO, and at a bare minimum, you need S- uh, Yoast SEO Premium. It is the number one SEO plugin for WordPress to help you get more visitors, increase your reader engagement, and analyze the SEO uh, tools and, and resources on your own website. Get a full preview of your page, what it's going to look like on Google, Facebook, and Twitter previews, and all sorts of good stuff. It's a tool that I can't imagine uh, living without on any website that I run. Thank you so much to Yoast and the whole team at Yoast for being a post-status partner. Go to Yoast.com to learn more about them and to check it out for yourself. Now, here's a show. Hello and welcome to Post Status Draft. My name is Brian Krogsgaard, and today I am here to talk WooCommerce and Shopify with Jonathan Wold. He just wrote a public, uh, he just wrote a blog post on Post Status uh, about this topic. Where Jonathan, you dive into uh, a lot of stuff in the case for WooCommerce to be a dominant platform in the e-commerce space. Welcome. Thanks, Brian. Good to be here. Yeah, I appreciate you writing this post, and I thought it was very insightful. So before we dig into, I guess, the um, the nitty-gritty of the argument that you make in this in this post, why don't you just say um, a little bit of your history with WordPress and e-commerce specifically? Yeah, it sounds good. Um, so I've actually had a long history with e-commerce. I was in an e-commerce-focused startup about 12 years ago oh, cool. that was at I'm actually focused on building a platform uh, very similar to Shopify and Woo and um, kind of a proprietary system. Gained a lot of experience in that, about things to do and not to do, and had some early successes. And then didn't think that much about it uh, for a while. Um, I've also had experience building um, a number of stores on WooCommerce and on Shopify, as well as other platforms, all client-focused work over the years. Uh, through my sort of independent freelancer and agency experience. So e-commerce has always been a thread. I hadn't thought about it all that much from a bigger picture perspective, though, until more recently. Um, so <clears throat> did you ever do uh, a significant amount of like uh, multi-platform analysis like when you were working at agencies like you were with xwp for a good while or were y'all always pretty focused on one platform um i would say more skewed towards all right this is what we're going to work on like for me that's been wordpress over the years right like i have a lot of my work has been biased towards migrations to wordpress that's a lot of like that's given me the chance to see a lot of platforms over that but um yeah. So my, I have, I've developed awareness over the years, primarily though, through the context of evaluating platforms for their ability to move to WordPress. Okay. So let's frame this post a bit. Ben Thompson, somebody we both respect. He writes Stratechery, well-known tech blog. He actually worked for Automatic. That was his last job before he started Stratechery. He wrote about Shopify and the power of platforms. And he has these theories that he operates on uh, concepts like aggregators or platforms and the role of those companies, business models, et cetera. 
And he describes Amazon as an aggregator or someone that has access to all these users. And then they aggregate this variety of services, whether it's merchants and manufacturers who are selling stuff or video platforms or, you know, AWS type stuff or whatever their product may be. And then a platform is, you know, like Shopify or uh, WordPress itself or WooCommerce and the e-commerce uh, lens uh, being a tool or a, uh, a, a resource that a business owner themselves can utilize. That's the yes. basics of that, right? Yeah, the one of the ways that I, so an aggregator is very focused on the end user, like the customer, right? So, so yeah. say bring all this stuff together for you. Whereas the platform is often focused on those who are serving an end customer. The platform doesn't interact with the customer directly. Um, Here, I have an idea and I want to see what you think about it. One example would be Netflix is an aggregator of TV shows and movies for users, whereas Vimeo is a platform for people to uh, either publish video or use tools for making videos themselves. Absolutely. It's a perfect example. Netflix uh, brings the supply and aggregates all the supply to the end user, giving them the ability to choose, which gives them a lot of power over time with their suppliers. Yeah. And Ben said that Shopify's strength was as a platform, which makes sense. They bring e-commerce or brick and mortar folks that want to sell online or new business owners, whatever, whoever they are, they bring them in and they provide this big suite of tools for them to be effective at their job. And you're saying WooCommerce can be better at that. Yes. And the thing that I'd add is that neither one is necessarily better for the end user. And my own thinking on the matter is that the ideal is that platforms and aggregators sit in healthy tension with each other, right? Mm -hmm. Because an aggregator can do things that platform can't do by creating these better end user experiences. The problem, though, is you go too far and suddenly Amazon is you know, creating white label brands and they're taking all their insights and they're, they're hurting some of these merchants, right? So from my perspective, it's like the ideal is this place of tension between platforms and aggregators. And um, my position in this work is, okay, Shopify is clearly a platform. I have some concerns about it for, from a long-term perspective within the context of the open web. I'd like to see Woo be that platform. Yeah. One more on the aggregator versus platform thing. There's also this hybrid concept. Maybe YouTube fits in with that. Like they obviously bring as many consumers as anyone in terms of a viewing experience if we're doing the video model here. But they do have some platform tools. Like I I can go and use YouTube as a tool for whether it's corporate hangouts or screen recording or you know some type of production. But inevitably the stuff that I use YouTube's platform as ends up also being aggregated within YouTube's ecosystem. So the way an aggregator builds platform tools is to keep it inside its ecosystem. You talk about the closed source and the isolated nature of Shopify. If you ever want to leave Shopify, you you just got a full export. It's not like you just transi- transition like you would say from a WordPress.com where, there, where there's a much more serious open source component. Um, is that a big part of why you think WooCommerce has an edge and why is that, why is that really important? I mean, I know to us in WordPress land, we'd like to make a big deal of it, but why is it really important? I think the, the inspiration for this piece is looking into the future. Like I, I want Amazon to have a healthy competition and tension, right? Like they do a lot of great stuff. I'm a happy customer. (laughs) I think everybody agrees they need that. 
and and it's not going to come from. I think it's I think it's very hard to beat Amazon at its own game. So um, on the on the part of me is rooting for Shopify, but ultimately what I care about is the open web and people having choice and the freedom to kind of do what they want. Which for me is you know those four freedoms of WordPress is it's all about that. And and when I look at Shopify, if I look at far into the future and they are the dominant platform that gives me pause, that gives me concern about how that relates to that freedom on the open web because they could say, oh, we don't want you or we can change the rules and there's nothing you can really do about it. So on the one hand, I like the direction, but then I'm like, okay, there's some something off here about the fundamentals and the long-term ramification of it. And so I'm like, even though Woo, from my perspective, is an underdog in a lot of ways, I, I think it has some fundamentals that are better for it, and it can has it has access to support that Shopify won't have. Yeah, let's talk about Woo's underdog status relative to Shopify. That's a misconception, I think. Even when we were going back and forth, uh, when I was you know taking a look at your post, um, I certainly view Shopify as the dominant e-commerce platform in the landscape, even though there's way fewer websites that run Shopify than run WooCommerce. The difference is that the impact of those websites, if I had to put it in a certain way, is so much more significant than the impact of your typical WooCommerce site. WooCommerce yeah. is more, more of a middle of the bar. Like So if you think of like a dumbbell curve, Shopify has lots a, a great market share of the biggest e-commerce non-Amazon websites, <laughs> and they have a. Uh, they're also pretty popular for like, you want to get started? Well, just go boom, click. You're on on Shopify. WooCommerce has this sweet spot in the middle that's a very long tail of the middle of the barbell, where it's people that want custom ability, uh, customization ability. They want to tack on e-commerce to an existing website. It's easy, but it's not like too easy. <laughs> and there ends up being a lot of websites on WooCommerce, but they may not be as big of an impact either for those specific businesses or on some like gargantuan scale. There's no, there's not many op services offered, for instance, similar to WordPress.com VIP or uh, you know, Pagely or like the big high-end managed hosts. There's not a lot of that for WooCommerce yet. That's like new stuff, like what Liquid Web's doing and what uh, Pressable's focusing on through Automatic and some of that. So like the scaling to the big side of things, Shopify has Shopify Plus, which like it's Banner. so much simpler Banner. when people hit big scale. So that side of the bell curve of, of the barbell curve is a little tougher for WooCommerce too. So they we, it kind of excels in this middle ground, but it also kind of leaves it in a little bit of no man's land, don't you think? It does. And I'd actually like to understand, because um, I don't have a really good sense, because Shopify has these numbers, they claim 800,000 plus merchants. Um, I'd like to understand it. I mean, I have some anecdotes that have given me pause. I have um, a friend of mine who sells tiny wood stoves online. Mm -hmm. And a few years ago, um, and he's done so on WooCommerce ever since he started. I tried to convince him a few years back to move to Shopify. And that was an interesting experience because I'm like, well, look, Shopify has streamlines all this stuff. Like they have all these integrations and, and he wouldn't do it. Yeah. And I asked him about it again. I'd done some work with big commerce recently mm -hmm. and I asked him about it again while doing some research a few months ago. And 
what I kind of drew out of that conversation is at the end of the day, it was about confidence for him. And yes, WooCommerce was more work, but he felt that sense of ownership, like this is his. Mm. And he saw the value, like he's come to meetups, like he was part of the ecosystem, the community. And he's like, I don't know what Shopify is going to do. Right. So that was interesting to me to like, logically, when I first looked at it, it's like, well, you should just be on Shopify. That's a better experience. But as the merchant and as someone growing the business, he's like, well, there, there's more to it than that. So one of the things that I've started to spend more time doing is just like talking to merchants and trying to understand. So I, I feel like I have more, a lot more questions than answers. And I'm wondering about the realities of like why people are choosing. So anyway, yeah. that's something I to have a clearer sense. No, of I, I like that. And I think you're right that so a Shopify or a host, any hosted solution, when you're putting the majority of your business revenue as being reliant on that platform, uh, you don't have the out. So like you really have to trust that Shopify is going to keep your best interests at heart as a store owner. Whereas with WooCommerce, there's still the same product development decisions and things like that, that may be risks to your operating model, but you always have an out of like, you kind of go your own way because it's open source and you either yep. figure out a way to migrate or not implement new stuff or, you know, figure out some way to change it to where you maintain your previous experience or whatever you want to do. Whereas with a fully hosted platform, you don't really have those types of options when they make big changes. Now it may be something like fee structure. So say they're charging you 2.8% or whatever on an order. And now they're like, Hey guys, we need to charge 3.8%. And you just lost 1% of your revenue. Like that's the type of change. You're just stuck. You don't switch to another uh, merchant processor and that, you know, off you go stick with your 2.8 or 2.3 or whatever you negotiate because there's 50 different payment processors on WooCommerce. I have an idea. I have a friend who um, is in the business of like buying and selling um, WordPress uh, or websites. And yeah. one of the things he pointed out to me is that WordPress sites are worth more than non-WordPress sites. And he sort of gave me some context and background to why that is. I suggest, I don't know about current state, but there's a future state where if you, people are selling e-commerce businesses, and they're doing well, they'll be worth more if they're on WordPress than if they're on Shopify. What was the reasoning for why that is? What's your so guess? A couple of different factors. So, so my perspective, so there is the knownness of WordPress. It's a known commodity, right? Like there's, there's a large ecosystem of support. It's easy to find people who know how to work on WordPress and in WordPress, it's familiar. And when I think about like, platform bets, there is always the, well, what's going to happen with this platform? We don't know for sure. And yeah. you don't know that about WordPress either, but you have that choice of like, we don't have to go, if things are going good, we don't have to go, you know, we don't have to change anything. Mm. Uh, I'm not, it's, 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 we'll see over time, but it's something I'm, I'm curious yeah. about. No, I think it's an interesting perspective. Uh, I think there's maybe another side of that. I think of back when uh, Andrew Udarian from e-commerce fuel talked some about selling businesses and doing migrations of his own. I think mm. WooCommerce now may be the case, like, but there's this atrophy thing where if a platform falls out of favor, like think of Magento. Uh, yeah. I think 
if you were now an e-commerce platform, maybe that used to be true on Magento if it was easier, more supported, more widely used. But now maybe it's a hindrance because, you know, there's not as many people that know how to use Magento or, you know, like it's it's more bloated. They're, the other options are faster, better, stronger, you know, better communities. So the risk you run there is it kind of falls out of favor. I think that same risk applies to Shopify perhaps, but uh, because of their current dominance, it's less likely than something like WooCommerce, an open source tool, what if another plugin comes along and it becomes the dominant one, you know, like that type of thing. You know, one thing that's been really interesting to me. So I listened to Shopify's Q2 earnings call um, yesterday morning and uh, they have Q and A at the end. I was really hoping someone would ask about WordPress and uh, no one did. It was all investors, of course, and their yeah. questions were all very naturally investment oriented. Like, hey, what's this? What's gonna happen next? Like looking at growth and some of the numbers. And one of the things that um, I've observed, I don't feel too strongly about this yet, but I've had folks reach out to me about like trying to, they're trying to do diligence and deciding whether they invest in like Wix or Squarespace and kind of these different, different opportunities. And one of the things that I've observed like when you're looking at your options, there aren't clear ways to invest in WordPress. So you have just large amounts of money going into these other platforms because people are looking. So I think there is a, a shininess to them and a kind of a propping up, if you will, that is it's like, well, we're going to invest in something in this space. So I think that can make it look like it's doing a lot better than it is. And, and to give them full credit, I mean, they're doing some incredible things right now. Like you just see the yeah. release of things are pushing out. And they're but, pushing out the things that the Shopify is doing. I want to get to your investment idea here. They're putting things out that are making store owners who are contemplating Shopify or Amazon, uh, making them happier. They're not necessarily yeah. focusing on the same stuff that people are contemplating Shopify or WooCommerce because they're doing like fulfillment by Shopify for people yep. that meet a certain threshold and like, Hey, you guys can do this through your own site. You get the same benefits of fulfillment and all this stuff that Amazon's promising you, but Hey, we don't have that big stick. We're going to throw at you like Amazon will of being in total control of your business. And, uh, I think some of that is really interesting that they're doing. And to me, WooCommerce feels so far off from that type of development. Like I cannot imagine, uh, automatic and WooCommerce or anyone in the WooCommerce ecosystem saying, you know what, we're gonna we're gonna uh, put 150 warehouses all over the world and serve uh, mid and major markets with two day free delivery for our WooCommerce customers. I just do not see that. Right? Could you see partnerships though? Because Shopify, they're not buying that stuff. All they're really doing is assembling. Because there there are there are warehousing and fulfillment businesses out there that yes. are a little bit nervous about Amazon taking everything. They're yes. happily looking for partners. Yeah, because right. Amazon's vertically vertically integrating all of that. Trucks being a great example, they don't need UPS anymore because they got Amazon trucks, and uh, that is what a, an existing shipping vendor would probably say that, hey, who else can we go and offer this fulfillment option to? Because we need that scale. So yes, now, I could see it as an integration on WooCommerce, but I don't see that there's focus there for people. Like, is that something the WooCommerce team is looking at? I hope so, but I don't know. Yeah. And this comes to the resourcing problem too, right? Shopify has 4,000 plus employees according to their Wikipedia entry. Yeah. And um, automatic is less than a thousand, and I don't know the exact, but I think the probably no more than a third are on Woo. That's so generous. 
Yeah. So it's, it's interesting. And I think, but I think the good news is it forces, like, I think Wu's best strategy is the partnerships and integrations, right? Yeah. Where like, that's always been one of its, and WordPress in general's key strengths. And I think you just have to double down on that and also make sure that strategy isn't hurting that approach. Right. Yeah. So, so uh, go ahead. Go ahead. Uh, I want to ask you about another thing. If I go to Shopify, uh, this is great from an investment perspective too. You know, it's $29 a month. Chris Lima said during post has published that the average Shopify store owner is spending something like $80, $80 or more per month in actuality. But you know what the pricing is. You go to WooCommerce's website or you Google WooCommerce pricing, you land on a blog post that was just a guest post by somebody years ago. There's no WooCommerce pricing page. If I say I want to compare WooCommerce and Shopify pricing, I don't know what WooCommerce costs. And when you actually go through the process, you're like, oh, well, I need this extension, this extension, this extension. I asked Matt Molenweg about this. He admitted uh, his own concern that we could, you know, uh, onesie, twosie ourselves or nickel and dime our customers to death and with these one-off yearly payments. So all of a sudden you get a $200 bill from WooCommerce and then you don't hear from them for four or five months and you get another $100, $150 bill. There's something about the normalcy of just knowing something costs $50 a month or like whatever number of dollars a month it costs, and that makes you comfortable. You hinted on this in the blog post, but what are your thoughts on what WooCommerce can do to make that a more um, consistent experience? I have a couple of thoughts on it. The first, I think it's the right direction to go, and and I suggest specifically a subscription for all non-SaaS extensions. And there's a lot to unpack there. I think the thing I want to point out is that like ideas are kind of easy, right? And if it's a good idea, it's a good idea. But what I recognize about this, I spent some time looking through, I, I've I'd indexed all of the extensions in the marketplace just to sort of categorize them and understand better. And um, it's, it's not trivial. Like it's not trivial to figure out how to pull something like that off. And that's where I, that's part of why I'm like, all right, this is where the opportunity is. It's often yeah. the hardest things that are the things that are worth doing. To pull that off successfully in a way that, um, merchants feel good about and the partners feel good about is, is very difficult. Yeah. And because what you run into, looking, go ahead. You run into so many issues. One automatic, uh, you still have free WooCommerce that will maintain the same WooCommerce Absolutely. core will be a free and open source piece of software. You don't have to use an extension, but literally everybody does. Yep. So now you get to the point of saying, okay, well, automatic says we have 50 extensions or a hundred. And our average revenue per customer is, I don't know, let's say $100 a year. So we need to count, figure out what's our monthly, maybe it's a $19.99 base. Well, that's an easy problem to figure out because that's just automatic. But now you got people like I work with uh, Skyverge. Well, we have 50 plus extensions as well. And we have a SaaS with Jilt that are all on top of this. So you have to, like automatic has to come to us and say, okay, well, we want you to start charging monthly and like we're going to include your stuff as like one-offs. So you have to figure out monthly pricing for each of yours. And maybe we like that, maybe we don't. Maybe we say, okay, well, we want to charge $20 a month for memberships. And they're like, no, that's not too much. You know, like whatever back and forth comes along there. Yep. And then you just introduce that conflict completely across the board. And then you have bundles and you have unlimited and you have all these things that you have to figure out with every single one of these partners. And you have to decide, okay, well, do we acquire them? Do we fork their software and say, screw you? Um, but then you're like putting your nose against your platform partners. And you're talking about, you are talking about the benefit of partnerships. So you don't want to do that. This is where the strategy matters a lot. If like, if you're thinking like an aggregator, like thinking like an aggregator versus a platform, if you're mm -hmm. thinking like a platform, 
are, you cannot hurt your partners. You have to figure out, this is one that Microsoft has done very well over the years. Like they have this huge moat, and Ben talks about this in, in great detail. They've built up this massive moat of, of, because of all their partners who trust Microsoft and recommend them and build all their services on it, et cetera. So Microsoft is going to be always very careful about what they do to their, to their partner network. So if you're thinking like a platform, one of the things that you do is you, you have to make a good choice for the users. You have to do so, though, within the context of what's good for your partners, what's going to actually incentivize more growth. And it's not easy. But I think knowing who, what your strategy is, and yeah, that, that at least gives you, okay, we, ha- we, can't, we can't hurt our partners. We actually have to make this good for our partners, even if that requires more sacrifice on our part. Yeah, I have an idea personally of where I think uh, they should go with this. Uh, Based on one, I think what I understand about the Shopify customer base, and number mm-hmm. two, what I think I understand as a my, as being a WooCommerce store owner with multiple stores, and I think what you could end up doing is it ends up being a little more expensive for your lowest end users who aren't mm-hmm. free. Like they're on the platform, they're using some paid extensions, but maybe it's twenty dollars a month at you know you spread that out, that's two hundred fifty bucks a year. They weren't spending 250 bucks a year before. Maybe they were spending 50 or 100. So you're getting yeah. more revenue from all of them. But what you want to do is you don't want to outprice your most committed, biggest spenders from before. So it ends up being a little cheaper for your people that had 10, 12, 15 extensions that they were paying for. And they were spending, you know, um, maybe a couple thousand dollars a year on software and support. Now maybe they're spending 1500 I don't know, you know, like they're, yep. they're paying a hundred dollars a month or 150. And then, uh, and then you create this seamless app extension program. Uh, so you could take a jilt like my example and you could say, well, yes. well, I want one off jilt on top of that, but I do it nice and seamlessly straight through the WooCommerce app store. Yes. To me, that makes more sense. And that gives a partner like us more incentive to say we're on board with this because we just got access to all these eyeballs uh, staring at Jilt from within the WooCommerce ecosystem. Absolutely. When I first started thinking about this, and this is these are just my own ideas. I haven't talked with any of the Woo folks about it, so I, I get that benefit um, in terms of details anyway. So Yeah, we're just planning their business without their input. Yeah. <laughs> I, uh, which actually has some advantages, right? Because you just look from the outside. Um, I, yeah, I'm going to invoice Paul Mariano about this. <laughs> when well, at first I was like, oh, it just needs to be one subscription. But I started the one tier, right? Like one price point. But I'm like, ah, that's, that's something not quite right about that. And yeah. that's, yeah, I think it's like you'd have multiple tiers. And um, I mean, just like multiple tiers would, and yeah. one offs on top of that. Because when you go and you see, here's the Shopify pricing, they offer you three options. And then after that, you can also go on and tack on thousands of other apps that have a monthly price of their own. And that's how you end up, that's how you end up going from the $30 base plan to the average customer spending 80 or 90 bucks. But they're opting into that. You're bringing them in the door by saying, hey, this is 20 bucks a month. And then you choose what you need beyond that. But you get all this cool stuff by, you know, by default. I think we have lots of precedent out there too. Like, I mean, you can call it um, WooCommerce Plus, the WooCommerce Pro. Like, there's there's clear precedents that you can sort of draw from other places. I like yeah. the uh, I like the plus for the low end because that goes right up against Shopify's plus on the high end. Yeah, and you can and you can undercut them. Like, why not? Like, that's that's business, you know. Um, 
and one of the other things Chris brought up during publish was the big one of the great benefits of WooCommerce is flexibility in how people pay. Like Shopify takes yeah. a cut of every single order on their platform. Yeah. WooCommerce yeah. out of the gate say, "Hey, look, you keep your revenue because you made it. This is our monthly yeah. cost." And you could choose whether your monthly cost is a little cheaper, a little more expensive, but that's going to be a huge appeal, especially to those stores that are doing real revenue. So a couple other thoughts on it. One, I think um, this is why I love having conversations like this and starting to talk about it more publicly. It's easy to just sort of not to look, not look past the surface and, oh, well, we, oh there's only 300 apps right now versus the 3,000. And, and but you're kind of ignoring that lots of people build custom stuff for Woo anyway, right? That, yeah. that doesn't end up there. So there's a lot more than sort of meets the eye. So I think it's important to have conversations like this to dig deeper, to question the fundamentals about something. So I, I appreciate having the opportunity to do that. Um, yeah, I think there's just, there's a lot of opportunity there and you have to focus first on the, not just looking at what it is today, but what could it become? And that's where that, you know, Ben's thinking on platforms versus aggregators for me was really helpful because it's like, well, if you're going to be one or the other, where do you sit? And just thinking through, it's like, well, Woo could sit right here really, really well. It just yeah. has a lot of steps to get there. I want to dig into the stuff that you said about what WooCommerce really needs to enhance. But before I get there, I want to ask you if you think the no, point three of Shopify, the growth risks, Shopify, public company, always in demand yeah. of uh, achieving yes. new growth. If you're not growing, you're shrinking. Uh, there's yep. no such thing as sideways in a public market. Uh, you know, it's, it's either good or it's bad. And uh, Shopify has that threat. Well, you know, shocking news, automatic's going to IPO too, <laughs> you know, at some point, or like at some point they will, uh, have a need to pay their investors in some way. Growth is an issue for them as well. So do you think that that's a, a fair point or is it just a delayed point because Automatic's not there yet to need to worry about that? It's interesting. I'm really interested in it personally. I think the nature of what WordPress is and what WooCommerce is uh, changes changes some of just the realities, right? Like they're not going to suddenly make it open, closed source. Now, I, I, it starts to get interesting. I've gone back and forth on this. I would be shy of, you know, in my current thinking, I'd be shy of just a blatant, let's become a SaaS strategy for Woo. Because there's things that I'd say from an outside, well, that seems like a logical place to go. I'd go there carefully. You're giving and, up your edge. What's that? You're giving up one of your edges when you do that. Yes. And like any moves in that direction need to be about supporting the platform and enabling more like power to its suppliers. Right. Yeah. And I think it's, it would be pretty tempting to easily go into more of, okay, we're going to do some SAS like things and just squeeze out, even if you're not trying to, but you squeeze out some of the partners. I think that's where, uh, where they were going with WooCommerce connect or the jetpack of WooCommerce. Um, mm -hmm. I have a couple of thoughts on this. One is it's very tempting. I completely agree. I've never advocated for WooCommerce to be fully hosted. However, since I interviewed um, uh, Mark back in 2013, uh, before mm. they ever sold Woo to Automatic, I was like, dude, where's the hosted version of WooCommerce? Not because I think it needs to be only hosted, but I think a easy to onboard hosted option, one click and yep. go, onboarding experience like Shopify has needs to be an option for WooCommerce. So I think it needs to be part of the business model. But what you don't want to do is you don't want to take your 
first choice self-hosted platform for e-commerce, which I think WooCommerce clearly is now. Like if you're going to self-host and own, own everything yourself, I think WooCommerce is a great first rate choice for that. You don't want to take that, give it away, go fully hosted and now be the B team of hosted solutions <laughs> where uh, you're not winning at anything in particular as a fully hosted solution. I think you just want to offer that as an option for certain people that want it or w- whether they're new or whether they're at scale, like the VIP hosting type of thing. Yeah. But yeah. the I, I do think the self-hosted portion of that is extremely important and it's uh, a part of the equation that they cannot give away. And I'm sure that they're not, but that's, that's not what we're advocating. Yeah, it's part of the partner strategy, right? Like hosts are important partners in the mix of all this. And again, not trivial to balance some of these things. Yeah, Um, but that is a balance that they've kind of done for a long time between WordPress.com, Jetpack, and then with the relationships with, you know, the Bluehosts and the GoDaddies and everybody else of the world. Um, All right, let's talk about the things you said WooCommerce needs to make sure are... uh, big focus areas. You have three points here. Can you walk me through why you think these are important? There's probably more things as well, but these are the ones that sort of stood out to me and sort of stepping all the way back. One is um, a great core experience that, and and I think there's a few aspects of that. It's, It's knowing who your customer is. And my thinking today is that it should be fully focused on like the new, the, the small business owner, not necessarily new, but like the needs of small business. Um, and especially in those early stages. So there's two things. There's the onboarding experience. And I, I can't recall where I heard this, but something that really struck me recently is that like good design isn't about like removing choices and just because that often it's like, okay, well, we're going to make a better user experience. So we're going to take all the choices away. Like, no, that's not, that's not the thing. Maybe it was on one of you were yeah, on Chris. Chris said choices are a very good thing. Yes. And so he was saying it's a very WordPressy thing to take away all those choices. Like if you, yeah, yeah. So choice is not choice is not a bad option, especially in these types of situations. So for me, a great experience is about helping people make better choices. Rather helping them make the best choices for them, and then you know streamlining as much of that experience as you can. So it's really about how to teach people to use what WooCommerce makes available to them, which I think is really hard work to do, but I think that's where some of the most valuable work is. It's like, like you, your first look might be to say, okay, let's make WooCommerce better. Let's get out all the things it doesn't need. Well, wait a minute. <laughs> that's part of what makes it so powerful is that for someone, someone uses that, right? Yeah. So let's do harder work to help people make better choices about what's available to them and then teach them how to use it through the onboarding experience, through support, et cetera. Yeah, how do you make interfaces easier to use while also offering as much power and flexibility as possible? Huge conflict that's really hard to solve. One that I've advocated for years now that WordPress itself needs to do a better job of because right now we got the flexibility and power thing down. We've got the uh, you know easy to use interface thing. Eh. <laughs> not get not getting an A plus on that yet, in my opinion. Uh, number two, you kind. Go ahead. Uh, one more point on that. And the heart of it really, I think, centers around choice and helping people make choices. A lot of approaches to better design is we'll make all the choices for you. Mm-hmm. And that works in some cases, but it doesn't work in the case of a platform. Yeah. So, it's like, yes. here's a default layout, a choice we're helping you make. 
And here are your options to make those adjustments. Kind of reminds me of the way if you think of like video editors or Photoshop, it's like, here's the standard layout. And then here's all these alternative layouts. So we're giving you tons of tools, not to say Photoshop is an easy to use tool, but they do make kind of an option to say, you know, you've got your swatches and your layers and stuff shown by default, but we got all this other crap you can expose as well, but you're going to have to do a little more work for those custom layouts. Number two, you talk about a vibrant partner ecosystem, Shopify, 3000 apps in its app store. We've touched on this a little bit. What does WooCommerce need to do here? Um. You know, this I haven't dug into it too much. I've started to talk to some friends who built on Woo in the past or considered it, et cetera. And the sense that I have, so I can't tell you how qualified the sense is, but my sense is that there's not a lot of trust for for building or or there's some at least some uncertainty about well what's gonna happen here, right? And for me, when I just look at the symptoms, again, pretty unqualified at the moment, when more than 30% of the extensions are maintained by automatic, that's like, all right. You know, there's not a lot of people putting a lot into this. Like there's something that's not quite right here. So for me, I don't know what it is, but for a platform to succeed, like that would be one of the indicators. It's like, well, what percentage of the best stuff is done by like, I mean, Apple has its apps, right? Yeah. (laughs) But there's only a few of them. And inevitably it does make decisions that like, you know, I'm sure people who built flashlight apps were upset when flashlight came into the core (laughs) operating system. Yeah, they take the best and they bring them in, but they're not in control of the majority or like even a significant minority. And and they made a decision that was good for the platform. Bringing flashlights into the core was good for the platform, right? And it makes it better for everyone else who's building on it. So there's, you know, ultimately there's a lot of, I think, ways you get there. It's all centered though in trust and finding alignment. And this idea is that if we're a platform, we need to do what's best for our partners. We need to be empowering them. and there's a lot of there's a lot of ways that you do that, but and someone's uncertainty could be, hey, it's going to take me 500 development hours to create the initial version of this uh, this app, and yeah. you know what? I don't have any guarantee or promise that I'm going to be able to make up the revenue for that 500 hour investment uh, if I don't if they don't have my back or if I don't have the flexibility to be exposed to that ecosystem because they close it off or because they take it over or they replace my functionality with their own functionality, et cetera. It's a risk. And I I think it's like, if you know that you're a platform and you're going for that strategy, then you have to do things that are good for your partners, short-term and long-term. And the third thing you talk about is community. We all know about WordPress's great community with meetups and WordCamps. Uh, How do you see WooCommerce being different and do you see do you see Shopify community that is either a good example or is it a, a wide open space for WooCommerce? So I was having a great chat with Andrea at uh, WordCamp Europe and just learning more about what's been That's done. Andrea Middleton. She does WordCamp stuff. Yes, and learning. Thank you. Learning more about you know all the just the amazing work that's been done with the meetups and WordCamps. And I've been a meetup organizer myself for uh, almost two years in my local community. And that's been a really eye-opening experience to me to see people coming in to WordPress through this. And, and just that sense of like, wow, we're, we're helping each other out. Like there's this, you know, shared knowledge that's happening. And, and as, as I'm looking back on now, just seeing this loyalty that's kind of building quietly, um, but consistently throughout sort of this ecosystem. One of the things that like, you know, at a really high level, I feel like WordCamps and meetups 
are a bit of the equivalent of like the Apple store experience, right? You go there and you have this sort of great experience and they're constantly investing now in events and workshops and all these kind of things that happen to sort of get people in there and build in that sense. So yeah, it's, I, I still have a ton to learn about this, but just at that high level, it's like, well, woo needs that. And I don't know much about the current state. Um, I know that locally, um, I was out of my local co-working space and saw, you know, someone working on an e-commerce store and I have, I have friends in this area who do, and there's no e-commerce meetup. So one of the things we told, we should start an e-commerce focused meetup in this area. And, um, but I, I think there's, there's clearly a lot of work, really good work that's been done to support and grow the meetup and WordCamp sort of ecosystem. And the high level thought as well, you know, we needs to have similar there needs to be similar things sort of, fo- but focus on e-commerce specifically. Hmm. This has all been really interesting for me to hear your perspectives on what would you kind of finish with? And I think maybe I'd ask for you to talk about the importance of the open web portion of what you said, because we've talked a lot about business models and stuff and things to do, but at the end of the day, one of the big advantages we have is this idea that we're, creating tools, we're creating um, ecosystems that are supportive of an open web. So talk about why that's important and why maybe store owners should think that's important. This is something that I, I didn't really start thinking about until just the past few years. And I realized that, wow, so much of my career, like so much of my life has been to, benefited directly and indirectly from an open web. Like, I mean, I, I met my my wife on the internet, right? Using tools that um, you know were freely available to me, built on open source technologies. And when I uh, when I kind of look to the future, I think I, I see the open web and all these things as kind of like I like this this idea of thinking of it like a natural resource or say an orchard that you sort of built, right? And it grows up, and we all enjoy its fruit, right? And it's great. But if you don't take care of it and you don't, you know, create, you know, take those seeds and plant new orchards, at some point it's going to die. And then at that point, it's kind of too late. And for me, um, I think there's a lot of great things happening, but I don't want a future web for my kids where it's just a couple of you know, businesses that have the far majority of it, right? That independence and that the ability to disagree and to do something different and to try new things and to to build is, is I think really important to you know, freedom as a whole. So I feel like I've just scratched the surface, but it's something that is, has been sort of a growing sense for me, especially when I think about our kids and what's the web going to look like for them. And so even if I don't fully understand it, which would probably never be the case, I'm like, well, I want to see open things do really well. And that's often really hard, really hard, difficult work. Um, and, but that's part of why I believe so much in WordPress. And so when I see extensions of it, like e-commerce, which is this huge sort of subcategory of building on the open web, well, this is also an area that needs to do really well. Because if it's healthy and strong, that probably bodes well for the web. I completely agree. Jonathan, thank you for joining me. I've enjoyed this discussion and getting your uh, take on on this whole thing. I do personally think that there's so much room for WooCommerce. I mean... Uh, you put the market cap for Shopify in here, obviously public company, $35 billion. If we think of a comparative price for the entire ecosystem of uh, the e-commerce landscape on WordPress, I think it's equal. 
Um, yeah. I think it's there's totally. equal opportunity at minimum, and that's without growth. Um, so I don't think the current WordPress e-commerce ecosystem is worth anywhere near $35 billion, uh, maybe a billion dollars if you total it all up, but probably not. Um, maybe the whole WordPress ecosystem is barely worth a billion dollars in terms of its commercial uh, application right now. But um, so much opportunity. I think this is another thing I strongly believe that I think the uh, the motivation and the desire for human beings to um, create more of their own businesses. I think the avenue for entrepreneurship will more and more go this route to where you create, yeah. you create and you sell direct um, and encouraging people to do that through their own websites, their own brands powered by uh, yes. open source software is something that's got so much potential and promise and good for the world. So it's something I'm really excited about. Thank you for sharing this. Uh, people can go to growinwp.com where you talk about WordPress and they can go to jonathanwold.com uh, for your personal blog. And this really cool illustration was done uh, by Caleb Johnson of Embrin, E-M-B-R-I-N.com. Thanks so much for joining me and we will catch y'all next time. Thanks, bye.